The following is a message from Durkeetown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. For more information about Durkeetown, please visit our website at www.durkeetown.org. That's D-U-R-K-E-E-T-O-W-N dot O-R-G. Okay. <laughs> Had a little stumble there, but I'm okay. It should be. It's being controlled from the back. Can everybody hear me now? Okay. What? Okay. I just got my, get my iPad behaving itself, and I'll be okay. Let's open in prayer. Father, we thank you that you have brought us together this day, that we might hear your word. And I pray that it would be a blessing to all of us, that it would challenge us, that it would convict us, that it would give us comfort and strength for the days to come. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Our text this morning is James chapter 5 and verse 9. And it reads possibly this way. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. On the other hand, it could be, behold, the judge is standing at the door. Or it could be, behold, the judge is standing at the door. Or it could be all of them all at the same time. But what I want to do is draw your attention to the context of this passage, James chapter 5, verses 7 through 20, and I'd like to read those with you. So if you can turn to it, that'd be great. Otherwise, just listen up. And uh, this is what James says, starting in verse 7 of chapter 5. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. 
Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. As we look at this context to chapter 5 and verse 9, we see James providing motivations to his repeated thematic characteristics in his epistle. Those characteristics, character traits are patience, steadfastness, and fear. And for each one, he gives a motivation. He gives us a reason for it. Patience, steadfastness, fear for God, or in other words, proving or demonstrating the quality of the metal of one's faith, our faith. I like that phrase, proving the, the metal, the quality of the metal of one's faith. Uh, metallurgy is in my background, as it were, heat treating and tempering and doing all sorts of things to metal to make it do what we want it to do, to have the proper characteristics that we want to, to make it have. And so these characteristics, patience, steadfastness, and fear of God, or in other words, proving or demonstrating the quality of the metal of one's faith. Let's look at patience. It is a self-restraint which does not hastily retaliate against a wrong. Patience is enduring. Patience goes through. Patience walks the extra mile. Patience endures the, uh, the nagging or, the, or the, 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 uh, the persistent child that doesn't want to give up. <laughs> Patience endures that. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. And this is a, a motivation to this patience. How are we to be patient? How long are we to be patient? A lot of times in the Old Testament, the prophets call out to God, How long, O Lord? And the Lord invariably says, you know, until you know, the, the message is done, until you see this happen, until you see the salvation from God. Until the coming of the Lord, we are to be patient as Christians. She says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. It wouldn't do much good to be impatient with crops, whether it's grains or fruit, <clears throat> because it requires it to be planted. It requires it to have the proper soil. It requires it to have the proper amount of rain. It even requires it to have the proper amount of temperature variation, the hot and the cold, to be a, a spell of dryness so that when the rain, latter rains do come, the fruits and the grains, they swell, they grow, they become more succulent, they become more tasty, they become all these things that God intends them to be because of the growth cycle of the thing that we are growing. We must be patient if we try to harvest the crops too soon, uh, we'll lose out. We won't have the proper fruit, the proper grain 
that God wants us to have. It reminds me of a situation at, at work uh, of a fellow that I used to, to, to deal with. I was just an engineering technician, and I had to um, show around the uh, Orient, the new engineers that would come in. And there's this one particular new engineer who was a very impatient individual. Frenetic is the word that I used to like. He was like popcorn bouncing off the wall, going from here to here, and he, he couldn't, he had a hard time focusing. So he would come to me with uh, his problem on the project, and uh, he'd be all excited and, uh, about it, and, you know, I gotta have this now, I gotta have this now. And he go, I would always invariably put my hand up and say, I will not panic before it's time. So tell me, <laughs> how much money do you have to spend on this problem? How much time do we have before it becomes irrevocable? And after we've negotiated what the thing was, okay, give me that amount of time and I will be able to do this for you. And um, so this happened several times. And he learns my modus operandi, this patient approach to problem solving. Uh, the, but he was still this kind of frenetic individual. And one day, okay, the, I went in at the beginning of the morning, poked my head around the cubicle, and I said, it's time. <laughs> and he, he goes, what do you mean time? Time for what? You know, what's happening? What do you mean? See, uh, it's time to panic, in other words. But, uh, <laughs> so, but anyway, in time, he himself learned patience to deal, to, he learned my, my way of dealing with problem solving, and he trusted me for that patience. But in the meantime, he was not becoming steadfast in his own understanding, in his own mind, in his own heart. He was not developing that characteristic. Steadfastness is the temper which does not easily succumb under suffering. And he succumbed very easily. Steadfastness is the temper which does not easily succumb under suffering. Now, when I think of temper, I, I, again, referring back to my metallurgical background, when you temper a steel, you've hardened it, you've done something to it. And, but in its absolutely hardened state, it's, it's not good for what you intend it to be. You can make it really hard, so hard, in fact, that it becomes brittle, so that if you whack it against something hard, it will shatter. If you hit it with a hammer, it will just bust into pieces like the bottommost Turkish taffy. But the, um, to temper it means that you would heat treat it again, and you would take some of that hardness out, and you would instill in it some toughness. You would rearrange the way its, it's, uh, <coughs> its structure formed itself. And it was able to be able to bend. You would be able to be able to strike it. You would be able, it would have toughness and durability in its use. And it wouldn't just crack or shatter because it was too brittle. Steadfastness is like that. It's a temper. Okay. It, allow, it allows uh, us to not easily succumb under suffering. A lot of people under suffering are brittle and they crack. They break. They are not supple enough. They're not tough enough to be able to, um, to deal with that particular stress. Steadfastness means that you are 
reinforcing it. You're binding it up. You are, you are strengthening it so that it does not, doesn't have to depend on its own strength, but that it's, it's there. It is being um, secured. Establish your hearts. Establishment means to be some, become, make it steadfast. Make steadfast your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So here's a motivation for how we become steadfast, how we establish our hearts. It is recognizing that the coming of the Lord is at hand. It's, it's close. And because of it, we can endure these kinds of, uh, of sufferings. Again, I'm thinking of tempered steel, uh, the uh, picture of a Japanese sword, a katana. And the idea is that it's made from a, a very hard steel, and uh, it's folded, split almost, and in it is inserted a, a softer steel. Um, it's hard, but it's not as hard as the other. And then it's beat back together so that you have a sandwich of really hard stuff and really mild stuff in between. And then what you do is you, you, uh, you, uh, you heat treat it and you quench it. And when it quenches, the two different steels react differently to the quenching process and it bends and it makes that characteristic curved shape. But the idea is that the outer portion of it is, is, is hard and sharp. In essence, you have a, a three foot long razor blade. But the internal portion of it is that the, the steel that is used gives it the toughness and the durability of, of, um, of that particular sword for, for use. It is made steadfast. It is established. And it does not easily succumb under the suffering, under the, the trials of its use. Third characteristic that I would like to point your attention to is the fear. The fear of God. And our text says, behold, the judge is at the door. And when I think of this particular image of the judge being at the door, there are two other images that came to mind immediately. One was in Revelation where Jesus is standing at the door, right? And uh, whoever opens the door, you know, he'll come in and, and sup with them. The other image of the door was the Passover where Blood was placed on the, on the post and the lintel and so forth. And the angel of the Lord, the judge of the Lord, saw that. They passed over that particular house and the blessing of the house and was, was given. So those kind of images are, are all there. But the Lord comes, we have to realize, as our savior, but also as a judge. Judgments are positive and negative because a judgment is the declared truth, the statement of fact from the judge himself. So when we stand before God as judge and he declares rightly, there are a couple of things that happen. He sees Jesus Christ instead of us and in our place. His atoning work is, is viewed. Our sins are covered. And, uh, but on the other hand, he also judges because he, real, he, he has to look at our life. And when he looks at our life, you know, he says, you know, how, how has this, this person, this Christian, this one who claims the name of Christ, how have they lived, okay, for me? And he judges with respect to rewards because some are given more reward 
than others. And the scriptures tell us that that is based upon what we have done. So God judges our actions with respect to rewards, but God judges mercifully and graciously with respect to our being. We are his church, we are his family, we are his children. And as such, then, when he looks at us and judges, he brings, he holds us close to himself. But on the other hand, he also rebukes us and is able to judge us with respect to our, our actions and rewards. But it also means that this judgment is eminent. It's at the door. It's like right there. If you have to do something, and someone stands behind you, looks over your shoulder. It's like, yeah, that's the eminent presence of a judge who's going to criticize. And you invariably get more nervous than you would if that person wasn't there. But we have to realize that it is Jesus Christ himself who is the judge, who is at the door. And he will uh, declare us his own if, in fact, we do believe in him. But also we have to realize that he will, is ready to uh, and able to rebuke us as well. The judge is at the door. So we have this, these three things, patience, steadfastness, and fear. And it is important uh, to understand the fears like that as we, we uh, that I taught or we taught and observed in Exodus chapter 20, chapter 20 and verse 20, these things are written, or these things are so that you might not be afraid, but that you might fear and obey the law. And so the fear that we are to develop along with patience and steadfastness is this fear that allows us to obey. It's a... It's a it's a worshipful fear. It's an awe-inspired fear. There's also an element of fearfulness in it, but it's not a debilitating fear. It's not a fear that causes us not to be obedient. It's a fear that causes us you know, to hide. It doesn't cause us to hide okay, or to run away, uh, but it's a fear that draws us closer to God because there's really no one else that we can go to for forgiveness. No one else that we can go to for salvation. And even though you may have to abide the stern rebuke, it is a loving one. And God loves us eternally and forever. I was reminded of, in looking at these things and their motivations, the, uh, that we are patient until the coming of the Lord, that we are steadfast uh, for the coming of the Lord is at hand, and uh, we are to be fearful because the judge is at the door. I was reminded of Proverbs thirteen twelve. Uh, for me, this proverb is is one of the essential uh, scriptures okay, in in my own personal theology, because it says that hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is the tree of life. And when we look at ourselves, certainly the hope that we would have as Christians, it is, it is deferred. We are not perfect. We are still sinful. 
And because that hope of wanting to be like Christ, wanting to follow his example, it seems like it is deferred. We, we are in this world, we are with, with sinful people, and it's just a pain. It's difficult. It's suffering. And it makes the heart sick. But the second stanza of, of that particular proverb is that the longing fulfilled is the tree of life. And that longing, that desire uh, that is fulfilled is to be like Christ. And when it is fulfilled, then that will be the tree of life. But the word in the Hebrew has a particular picture. Okay? And it's not the completed fulfillment. It is the fulfillment in the sense that you have something coming and you recognize it. So you, have, you recognize that family is coming and going to visit, and you know that they're, they're near. And it's that fulfillment that you see. They're, they're so close that it's as, almost as if they are there. They're just minutes, moments away from walking through your door. It's that kind of fulfillment. And you, that realization is to be, is, seems like the tree, tree of life, or a tree of life. It is this way with Christ. We are in one hand, are from one perspective, we are heart sick because we are not perfect. We do suffer. We do sin. But on the other hand, we realize that the Lord is coming. The Lord is at hand. And the Lord is at the door. And when we realize these things, it helps us to experience that tree of life satisfaction that we have in knowing Christ as our Savior. When we ask ourselves, okay, so what do we do until the Lord comes? Because the Lord is coming, the Lord is at hand, and he's at the door. And James has already several times, because he's at these, not only does he have repeated Christian characteristics that he wants us to follow or pursue, there are these particular things that he wants us to do. And the first one is pray. It's mentioned several times in the book of James. It's mentioned in, the, in the, our immediate context. It's even mentioned in the, in the larger context that, that we read, that we are to pray. Pray for one another. We are to confess and pray, ask for, asking for forgiveness. We are to, uh, when we are sick, we are to call the elders that they may pray. Prayer is an important part of what we are to do until the Lord returns. And in praying, we are to be patient. We are to be steadfast. <laughs> and we are to pray with the fear of the Lord. Another thing that James frequently says in his book is that we are to control our tongue. And we control our tongue in, in, in this way, that uh, if you, uh, you sow a thought, you'll reap an action. If you sow an action, you'll reap a a habit, and if you sow a habit, you'll reap a character. If you sow a, a character, okay, then you'll reap a destiny or an eternity. The, there's no scriptural quote for that, but it seems to follow biblical teaching. <laughs> anyway, the idea is, is this, that when we are asked to control our tongue, how do we do that? We, we we have to go back to what are we thinking? What are we meditating on? What are we trying to convince ourselves of? Okay, what is in our heart? Okay, not just what is superficially there for everybody to see, but what is our heart feeling 
for the people around us. Because it says, don't grumble against one another. And when I hear that, I think of, oh, just like the Israelites, they didn't, you know, they grumbled against God, and God was really upset with them, and he, you know, he gives them plagues, he destroys people, he, he, he doesn't allow them to enter the promised land. But that's a different kind of grumbling. The picture of grumbling here in the Greek su- suggests that it is, it is just an attitude that we have. We might have a rolling of the eyes, oh, here, this guy again, you know, or it's a side, side glance kind of, a, of an attitude. It's a moaning, it's a groaning, it's a, oh, yeah, here we go again kind of thing. It's that attitude that James says, don't do it. Don't grumble against one another because the judge is at the door and you will be judged. Again, it is something that we need to experience patience in. Dealing with people like that, that would want us to naturally display that attitude, we need to be patient with them. We need to be patient with ourselves because it's going to take us many, many opportunities to not do that, to become successful at it, but, and to, and to uh, instill a proper heart. Holy concern, another, another thing that we do, the third thing is to, a holy concern to keep our brother's feet in the way of righteousness. We found this in uh, verses 13 through 20 that we read as well. But we find it in Matthew 5 and Matthew 18. If we have something against, if there's something in us that is wrong, we are to confess it. Go to, go to that brother and confess it so that we may be able to partake rightly of the communion table. In Matthew 18, if we have something against, brother, we have to go to that person and we are to ask you know, uh, to conf- have a confrontation, as it were, but to ask for uh, uh, trying to convict that person, to ask them to repent. And if he repents, you save your brother. And he asks for forgiveness, and forgiveness is given. And those are the kinds of things that help us to maintain our holy concern for our brothers and sisters. <clears throat> In all of these things, we have to exercise patience, steadfastness, and the fear of God, or in trying to do them, we won't do them right or well. The fourth thing is it, it, what these motivations, uh, uh, allow us to see is that there's an urgency of the gospel. If the Lord is at hand, if the Lord is coming, the Lord is at hand, and the judge is at the door, we need to be uh, aware that the world is in need. We are the dispersion in the world. Okay? We are, that's who James is writing to, the dispersion. We're it. We're in the world. We are Christ's family in the world, and we need to be able, we need to be those witnesses that Christ wants us to be, that light and that salt. And there's an urgency to it because we do not know when the Lord is coming back. But we do know that he's coming back soon and the judge is at the door. So we need to be ready, willing, and able explicitly by our, by our words, implicitly by our lives and actions to demonstrate that they need Jesus Christ for salvation. 
But there's an urgency for you and me as well that we need to make sure that we are right with the Lord, that we are ready and quick to seek repentance and to give forgiveness and to pray for one another. That is the urgency because Christ is coming and the judge is at the door. So may the Lord bless us with his word. Thank you for listening to this message from Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. You may freely copy and distribute this message, but please do so at no charge and without altering the contents in any way. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org.